Welcome to the Resilient Mind Podcast. I'm Sam Bowler, and I'll be your co-host along with my wife, Natalie. Natalie is a licensed professional counselor in Nashville, Tennessee. She works primarily with survivors of complex trauma and specializes in dissociative disorders. The Resilient Mind is a platform for us and our guests to play our part in the bigger conversation around mental health. Specifically, we would like to raise awareness and understanding of complex trauma and dissociative disorders. So, whether you're a survivor yourself or you just stumbled upon this podcast, welcome to the conversation. We're glad you're here. Welcome to the Resilient Mind podcast. Today we are going to be talking about resilience itself, um, talking about what resilience is, how it can be useful for trauma survivors, um, the fact that it is not just something you're born with, but can be a learner skill as well. Before we get into talking about that, I do want to let you know we are experiencing some thunderstorms outside. So if you hear any loud booms, that is... Um, that's what that is. So just wanted to give you a heads up. Hopefully we won't have too much of that in the recording here. But um, yeah, Natalie, do you want to um, kind of lead us into what resilience is and uh, start talking about that a little bit? Sure. I think of resilience as our ability to bounce back after we've experienced something that is really difficult, painful, or tragic in some way. If you're listening to this podcast and you have a trauma history or even a complex trauma history, you may not love the topic of resilience and you might even be rolling your eyes at us right now. Um, And then others of you may really like this topic. But before you decide to turn this off, please give us a chance to explore this issue. It's a very important one to your recovery. And, and really, that's part of what this podcast is based off of, is the idea that anybody who is a trauma survivor has a resilient mind that has been able to adapt and respond to difficult life experiences. So if you have survived trauma, then you are resilient. In Yoga for Trauma Recovery, Lisa Danilchuk talks about changing the question from what's wrong with this patient to what happened to this patient. Um, Her book is really great, by the way. I highly recommend it. We'll make sure to put that in the notes. Um, I think this is a really important concept, though, because I think for such a long time, um, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists have looked at symptoms and what is wrong with a person, not necessarily what is right with them. So let's try and look at your difficulties through the eyes of the part of you that experienced the trauma. For some of you who experienced childhood trauma, that might be like looking through the eyes of a child. We need to explore what you needed to do to survive. That that in part is your resilience. Even if today it causes a lot of difficulties in your life, You did something that you needed to do or maybe many things that you needed to do in order to get through whatever you experienced. And um, 
I one time did a training at Onsite, and Laurie Loki called this brilliant resilience. So that's the term she used to describe what a person does to get through their experience. So that might include drugs, alcohol, eating disorders, risky risky behavior, self-harm, sexual acting out, etc. I even believe um, suicidal ideation would fall under this category of brilliant resilience as well. You had to find a way through, and you did. So that might be how you responded during the trauma, but it also could include how you coped after the trauma, something that has enabled you to get to where you are today. So we really need to pay attention to what you did and what you continue to do well and how against all odds you survived. Lisa talks about physical, social, and emotional resources. So these are all things that you can strengthen. I think generally people sometimes feel like, oh, I'm either resilient or I'm not, or I was born with resilience or I was not born with resilience. And that's actually not the case. Resilience is something that you can really grow and um, continue to strengthen over time. And sometimes that can be something as simple as a shift in the way you view your past behavior or your past experiences and how you're looking forward into the future. So I really try and work with clients on looking for resources that they have in their lives, their strengths, and their creativity that they're bringing to the table to help support their trauma recovery. So I think that's really important for everybody is to see how you've been creative in getting through life. Is that, um, are there people who maybe dislike that part of themselves that was, I guess, like something that was a way they survived, but is reframing it as something that helped you survive um, part of the purpose behind that to kind of, help someone explore that and be more curious uh, rather than, you know, despising that side of themselves or that part of themselves that they're struggling to kind of figure out how to walk through. Because you talked about a lot of things that a lot of people maybe wouldn't want to have on their plate, like addiction and um, risky behaviors and all the things you listed. Um, Yeah. So I guess I'm asking is reframing it as this is a way you were resilient, a way you survived. Um, How does that help? Um, I guess, someone actually process and um, move forward in their life? Well, I think, like you mentioned, a lot of people don't like the parts of themselves that um, help them to get through the actual trauma experience and then also how they manage to cope after the fact. And there's actually a lot of shame for both of those things. So whether it be how somebody's body responded during trauma or, um, you know, maybe they wished that they fought, but they froze um, or how they coped after it. So maybe like numbing out through drugs or alcohol or some sort of risky behavior. And um, a lot of times people are coming to therapy feeling like there's something wrong with them. Like, why didn't they respond differently in the trauma? Or why why didn't they respond differently after the trauma? And I really encourage people to try and look at it from the stance of you really responded 
in the best way that you could given what you had at that time. So given the support you had, given the tools you had at the time, you you really did do the best that you could. And so I think that is helpful in developing self-compassion for ways that you survived the trauma and ways that you coped after the fact. Gotcha. That makes sense. So I was thinking we could talk about um, some things in terms of resilience that you can really work on and actually change or strengthen. Um, So I think um, one of the first things that's really important in terms of resilience is your support system. And I don't want anybody to get discouraged by that because some people don't have a very good support system. But that is definitely something that we can grow and develop. because we really aren't meant to do life in isolation. And when we are harmed in the context of a relationship, we really must find safe relationships that support our healing process. And I understand how difficult this one can be due to the fear of people that many survivors live with. So how does somebody start trying to figure that if you don't have a support system, if you don't have a network or feel like you have that connection, um, but you are willing to try to figure that out? What, what's kind of a first step or how, how do you begin that process? So I think therapy can be a great first step. If that feels too intimidating, maybe it's something else. Like it could be joining a group at church. It could be um, joining some sort of group that has um, – you know, a common interest that you share, but basically a place where maybe people have either similar interests or similar belief systems is a good place to start. Um, If you're willing to try it, I think um, skills groups or therapy groups are really great options too as far as strengthening um, support systems. What are some ways that people can manage both their expectations and set healthy boundaries when they're entering into relationships like that. Because I think that's, like you said, one of the big fears is um, having been hurt in the context of a relationship. And, you know, I think there's a lot of fear of your trust being broken and not being able to um, share your pain and your story with other people in a way that's safe. How are, what are some practical tips to kind of have good expectations while still getting something out of that experience? Well, I think we can't assume that everybody in the entire world is trauma-informed. I think that's absolutely true. And so if you share something and somebody doesn't respond in a way that you want them to, that doesn't mean that's not somebody you could be friends with. Um, I think another thing is as you start to make friends or like support people or you like gain support people, you don't want to make them feel like you are the that they are the only person that you rely on. I think that's a really quick way to burn somebody out. I think as much as you can spread out the support you need, the better. So if you can have multiple people in your life, I think that's really helpful. I know me saying that probably feels really overwhelming because even just having one person might feel challenging. Um, But you don't want to sort of like dump everything that you're struggling with 
onto that person. That's kind of why I think a therapist is helpful because they are trained and they also, in that 50 minutes or an hour, however long you're with them, that's your time. And it is specifically for the purpose of you developing coping skills or processing your pain and that sort of thing. So that's like a good place if you really need to get everything out, that's a place where you can get it out. But I think if you're looking for new friends, um, you don't want to share too much too quickly because one, you don't know if you can trust the person and two, you don't want to overwhelm somebody because if you think about it, if you are in their shoes, you might actually not be able to handle the amount of information you're trying to share with them if somebody else was trying to share that with you. Gotcha. Um, and I know you have more to say on that probably and and this topic. I was just going to say um, if you're ready to go in this direction, what are some more practical habits and things like that that people can start implementing to kind of begin the journey of um, learning resilience and healing? I mean, besides therapy and, and building a support system is, you know, things like journaling and things like that. Like, what are some things that can really help kind of reframe? Because I'm thinking about the person who maybe doesn't feel like they're in touch with their resilience and needs to, like, grow in that direction. Sure. I think I have, like, a bunch more stuff to talk about in regards to, like, other ways to develop resiliency. I think I just wanted to start with support system because I think it's so important for people who are healing from trauma to heal in the context of healthy and supportive relationships. Um, And so I think the last bit on that is just that once you have people within your support system, the next step is being able to reach out to people when you are struggling. And again, this doesn't mean that you are using that person as a way of processing everything that's going on for you, but it is a, like, hopefully you are able to develop a support system where you can just say, hey, I'm having a really hard day. How is your day going? I'd love to hear, um how you're doing, something like that, so that you're even able to like distract yourself by focusing on something else. And I'm not saying that's like always the best option, but it could be something that's really helpful. Um, I think something else to think about, and this is a really difficult one for people, but what are you good at and what are your strengths? And I know so many people hate this question and don't really think that they have an answer for it or they don't know how to answer it, but everybody is good at something. So really try and think of the things that you enjoy doing and things you're good at. Um, So I think sometimes it's like, oh, I'm supposed to like be good at school or be good at um, sports or be good at performing or singing or something like that. Just these like stereotypical things that people think they're supposed to be good at to be a worthy human being. And I think sometimes you can just look at, oh, are you good at showing up for something? Are you consistent? Um do you work really hard when you um, are committed to something? Those sort of things. Um, and try to think a little bit outside the box because even if it is, oh, I'm good at school and sports and those sort of things, those are sort of like external things that don't have to do with you. And I think those things are great, but I think also look at what are your strengths as a person. 
And I guess to just maybe define that a little bit more, um, you're not necessarily saying like career or anything, but just like what are some some of the strengths that you have and interests and things that you love? Right. And I mean, it could be that you're good at your job. That's great. But it could be that you tend to always include people or you're just a really kind person, those sort of things. Like that's a strength just as much as being good at your job. Okay. I just wanted to separate because I think it's easy to feel like in order to say you're good at something, it has to be something that you can do on such a ridiculously high level. And that's not always the case. Um, so I just wanted to separate maybe career from what you're talking about because it could be career, but I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just that. And then I think another thing that's important, and this is absolutely something you can develop. And I think a lot of people feel like they're already supposed to know some of these things, um, but developing coping skills helps with resilience too. So if you are able to regulate your emotions, if you are able to use grounding or mindfulness or yoga or some way of connecting to your body, or even if you can develop good conflict resolution skills or how to be interpersonally effective, all those things are helpful in getting through life. Um, And, you know, for those of you who have childhood trauma, a lot of times you don't come into adulthood with these skills. And that is not your fault. Maybe you didn't learn them. Maybe your caregivers never taught you how to do certain things. And so as, um, as a therapist, I never expect people to come in knowing things. Um, I think it's really helpful to be curious and ask questions and know that it's okay not to know how to do everything. Um, But also, I think it's important to think about you may be surprised what you are bringing to your recovery in terms of skills that you already have. So sometimes, like, I have people come in and they've never been to therapy before, but they already journal. Or people come to therapy and – you know, maybe they like to be outside in nature and connecting with, um, you know, things in that way. And so those are all skill sets that are really helpful. Um, and then in therapy, we can continue to develop that skill set. I was just thinking about uh, people you said, you know, who don't have the um – maybe didn't learn some of those skills growing up. I think it's probably really difficult um, and feels really unnatural when you do start learning those to try to actually put them into practice in real life situations because it's against what you're naturally going to want to do in some kind of conflict or um, when your emotions are feeling like they need to be regulated. Um, And I know you probably teach these things um, to people when you're teaching skills, but I guess I'm just maybe just wanting to offer encouragement to um, that it will feel uncomfortable um, and it's not going to be natural when you learn something new like that to actually implement it. But it's, I think it's similar to any other um, habit learning in a lot of ways in the sense that it's not going to be what your body wants to do. It's not going to be your first go-to, but you have to kind of slow things down and say, okay, what's happening right now and what is actually the most healthy and beneficial way for me to respond to this. But right. I guess Absolutely. I just wanted to share that because I think that can be a really bit challenging thing. You can learn all you want, but when you get into those situations, you're not going to do it naturally. 
Right. It's definitely going to be uncomfortable. And I think that sort of leads into another point. I think something that is really important to develop um, is the ability to be either accountable or responsible for your actions versus um, shame spiraling and feeling like everything that you do is wrong or that you're a bad person or that there's something wrong with you. And this is so important. And I see it a lot in therapy where, um, let's say like I, as a therapist, like set a boundary or I hear something in the way somebody is describing something. I say, oh, I'm noticing maybe have you seen it from this perspective or this is how I'm hearing what you experienced. And I think people are quick to be like, oh, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I didn't know that. I'm such a horrible person. Rather than saying, oh, maybe I didn't quite get that right. And maybe like my perception was off or, um, you know, maybe I did intrude upon your boundaries or those sort of things. And I think that's so important because, yeah, some of these things you did not learn and that is not your fault. And I don't expect you to know. And I don't think other therapists expect you to know. But I think in order to change and adapt um, and learn things in the world, we have to be able to be accountable and responsible when when it is something that we can be accountable and responsible for. And that's really interesting because it almost sounds like it, it's almost it's more liberating and more freeing for a person to be able to take that ownership and be able to see what they can do with it because they can move forward than to go into that shame spiral and talk about how horrible they are and not to diminish the difficulties of anything like that. But I think it's just interesting because it feels maybe scary, I guess is like the emotion. Like it's kind of, I'm afraid when I think about that, but it is empowering and and a good thing. Um, I think it is really empowering because you're able to realize that you are in control of your own life and you are able to change the outcome of things. And so like an example I can give from my life is um, prior to doing any therapy or any of that sort of thing, um, probably like around the time I was in college, I sometimes struggled with just like if I felt hurt um, really like raging at people and almost feeling like justified in doing so because, oh, this person hurt me so I can hurt them back in some way. And I think, um, the further and further I got into my own recovery, I was able to see, oh, I have a problem with my anger and how I handle it. The anger is not the problem, but how I handle it is. And really what was under that was hurt And so I think like to be able to own that and own like my mistakes and how I was hurting other people allowed me to be responsible and accountable, which then allowed me to change that behavior. I think another really important thing is um, belief in yourself. Um, So how much do you believe in your ability to overcome what you've been through? Um, Do you feel like you can do hard things? Do you maybe even like a challenge Um, are you willing to fight for yourself and for your recovery? 
I think this is another thing that can always be strengthened. And this is some of what I was talking about where sometimes you just need a little bit of a shift in the way you're thinking about things. Um, and I think this is where developing an internal locus of control comes in. Um, some people feel like they need permission or want direction on every move that they make. And I know how hard it can be to trust yourself after trauma, but this may look like developing the ability to trust yourself and make your own decisions and very much believe that you can set goals and um, attain them. And so sometimes I say, um, you know, I've definitely had experiences where I work with clients who like, can be very stubborn. And I actually think stubbornness can be a huge strength and it can really be a resiliency that people have. But it's like it has to be shifted just a little bit. So maybe like if your stubbornness is I'm going to dig my heels in and do things my way and that is the only way I'm going to do it, that might not work very well. Um, but if you were to use your stubbornness and say, I am bound and determined to overcome this and I am not going to let um, my trauma take my life from me or take away joy in this life. Um, and I think those subtle shifts are really, really helpful. Yeah, I think that's really helpful and important because there is such a small, I, I believe wholeheartedly that there is a very small shift from I can't do this, I don't believe in myself, I don't know if I'm ever going to get better, and I do believe I can get better and I can do this, that those are might sound very opposite, but I, I just, I really believe in what you're saying that it's, it is a subtle shift a lot of times and the ability to adapt and learn and grow is in a person. It's not something that they need to find from someone else. Right. And the mind is so powerful too. So like if you can believe in yourself and change your thoughts just slightly. So again, similar to what Sam was saying, maybe it's, oh, nobody can help me um, to shifting that to I can be helped and I do need to be a part of this process. And yeah, somebody can't completely heal me without me putting in the effort. And so I think like, again, that internal locus of control, taking some accountability um, is really helpful. Or Sam also mentioned, um, I'll never heal. And it's like, yes, it's going to take a long time, possibly, depending on your level of trauma. Um, but you can do it. And I think something that I strongly, strongly believe is that healing is possible no matter what your circumstances are. But it's not going to just happen. You have to be willing to put in the effort and have the appropriate support to be able to heal. I also want to say real quick about um, that too. The healing, I, I think like I've struggled with this in my own experience, kind of idealizing this place where all of a sudden everything's easy and life is just joy. And that's not really what life looks like. And I think part of healing and part of reframing that for me is embracing and accepting and and really enjoying, but not necessarily feeling joy at all times, uh, the ups and the downs of life and knowing that the process of healing is part of what life is about too. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think sometimes healing can feel so far away when it's 
this idealized place of everything's perfect and I no longer experience difficult things. And um, for me, it's been better to kind of reframe that a little bit and make it more of a journey and more of something to show gratitude for the ups and downs and curiosity and learning and all that. Right. Yes. Um, and I think you actually mentioned this a little bit ago, but um, the ability to adapt, I think, is also um, very important. So do you feel able to adapt through challenging and changing circumstances? I think most trauma survivors naturally have this ability – well, naturally is not the right word – um, come to therapy with this ability to do this because you had to do it growing up if you have childhood trauma. You had to watch the people around you and the environment very, very closely so that you were able to respond in the way that allowed you to survive. And so I think um, this is where curiosity can come in too, where you can be curious about like, how do you need to adapt to how things have changed? How do you need to adapt to actually being safe today and not living in constant danger? And I think that can be a struggle because, you know, for people who have experienced trauma, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the past and the present and when you may actually be responding to the past in the present today. Um, another huge thing is um, – Finding some kind of purpose in life um, or a direction. And so do you find that you feel a meaning or a purpose to your life? Um, and this, again, is something that can be developed. Not everybody um, comes, into a, a, comes into adulthood feeling like they have purpose. Um but I think through looking at your values and your interests and your strengths, you can find where you have purpose um, or find a way to um, have meaning in life. Can I say one thing on that too? Um, I think one of the most helpful things if you are struggling to find some kind of purpose is um, to not be afraid to try things that you haven't done and um, – yeah, learn, do new, new experiences and try to just enjoy that process with a curious spirit, because I think it feels sometimes like you're supposed to have this big grand vision for your life. And some people have that, but some people don't have that and that's okay. But in order to find purpose, I don't think that you're going to find that like staying in and doing nothing. You need to go experience things. And I think it's surprising sometimes what people will find that they like um, when they try it. So just a fun advice, but I think it, I think it can be really fun to try new things. Yeah, I think so too. And I think at first when you try something new, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be good at it right away. And um, this is maybe my own personal opinion, but I think sometimes when things don't come easily right away, it builds character. And um, I think that's a good thing too. And then you have something that you're also working towards and building a sense of competence, which can be really cool. Definitely. And something that um, I will say is 
a huge resiliency for me, and this does not mean that it would be for everybody, is um, for some people, it's really helpful to find some sort of meaning in their pain or suffering. And so um, I don't think I always viewed things this way. And so, you know, this is a place where like I've developed resiliency in this area, but I can today look back on my pain and suffering and difficulties to say, okay, I probably couldn't be the therapist that I am today if I had not had those experiences. And I wouldn't really even be the person that I am today without those experiences. And again, I didn't come to therapy feeling that way. I didn't come into adulthood feeling that way. That is something that I developed over time. And life never gets to a point where everything is perfect. And so now, even when I am going through pain or suffering, I have this thought in my mind of, okay, I know there's some purpose in this. I don't know what it is yet. Um, But that's been really helpful for me. Again, that may not work for everybody. And just to be clear, that doesn't mean I'm saying that like, I wish trauma had happened to me or that you should wish that trauma happened to you or be glad that it did because that's certainly not what I'm saying. Um, But to find some purpose in your experiences, I think is also helpful. It's cool because I'm seeing more so as you talk about purpose and some of these things, how much belief is a factor in all of this because in order to even start that journey of trying to find a purpose and looking into things that you love, you have to believe that you can uh, on some level. So that's really cool. Right. Right. I think the belief that you can is just huge. That is like an incredibly important part of things. Um, I think the last thing that I just have, um, that I wanted to talk about was developing the ability to problem solve. So when a problem presents itself in your life, how able are you to figure it out and come to a solution? So maybe, um, you know, I think like initially a lot of people come into therapy or recovery and um, when a problem arises, they shut down or freeze or avoid or procrastinate. And um, that actually tends to make fear and anxiety around the issue much worse And so the good news is we can develop the um, ability to problem solve and to even have the desire to want to overcome the things that are scary and difficult. Um, So I think that's incredibly important is really setting your mind to, I can solve this problem. I can figure it out. Um, And I think, again, the ability to trust ourselves comes up here again, too. So a lot of people possibly would be familiar with adverse childhood experiences, and that's um, 10 questions that ask about difficulties in childhood. But there is also um, a resilience questionnaire, and I'm not sure if as many people are familiar with that, um, but it looks at resilience factors growing up. And many of the questions really relate to having supportive adults in your life and that that contributes to resiliency. But if you didn't have supportive adults in your life, you may have developed some of the following belief systems. Um, 
They're actually the last two. And one was I was independent and a go-getter. And the other was I believe that life was what you make it. And so I think both of those are really important because those may or may not um, be based off of adults around you. But I definitely think those are things that some people just have that are really helpful. And I think if you don't have those belief systems, it is definitely possible to make small shifts into thinking that way. And, And I think as far as that resilience questionnaire I think a lot of the ones that are on there can be pretty discouraging because maybe if you have complex trauma in your history, you didn't have supportive adults um, in various places in your life. But some of them are like teachers in school believing in you, those sort of things, which I think are absolutely helpful for people who have had that. And we'll put the link to this assessment um, in our notes. Yeah. And just to reiterate, like you just said, Natalie, that you can you know, find that you didn't have these experiences as a child and in your development, but that doesn't mean that you're not resilient and can't be resilient and can't learn those skills. Um, I just don't want people to be going and taking that quiz and be like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not resilient. Um, right, like right. That's the yes. whole point is we can learn and we can grow and become whatever we believe we want to be. Yeah. And if you didn't have very many supportive adults in your life growing up, Um, You might not really be a person who sees life through the eyes of optimism and positivity. Um, And so when I talk about optimism, I don't mean blind optimism and having your head in the clouds and thinking everything's always going to be rainbows and butterflies. Um, And I understand that if you're listening to this podcast, you may have been through some very difficult experiences Um, And like, to be honest, Sam knows this, but um, I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as an optimistic person. Um, I tend to be more pessimistic by nature, but it's something that um, I'm continually working on because I can easily go to worst case scenario. But I like what um, Arielle Schwartz calls realistic optimism. And she defines this as maintaining a positive outlook on life while simultaneously acknowledging the challenges that will occur along the way. And she talks about how too much realism can lead to skepticism or negativity, which can end up ruining your dreams or hindering your ability to move forward in life. Whereas too much optimism can result in this sort of like fantasy world or idealism which can cause you to turn a blind eye to actual barriers that are present in your life. So this allows you to have your dreams, but set accessible goals to reach them. And um, her book is called The Post-Traumatic Growth Book. Um, I just started it. I haven't read the whole thing, but I've really liked it so far, especially um, the part that I've read so far on resilience. Um. And then just briefly, I want to mention I am doing Becoming Safely Embodied um, to become like certified to be able to provide those groups. Um, I am actually doing a group now, but this is like towards certification. And Deirdre Fay said um, during the training something about how for every one negative experience, You basically need to kind of train your brain to attend and um, orient to like five positive things. 
And so let's say um, even just something as simple as maybe you had a bad day at work, like your boss said something to you and it really hurt your feelings. You could easily then focus on all the other negative things that are going on, um, which then kind of like turns your mind towards um, life is really difficult. Nothing ever goes my way. This isn't fair. Whereas if you have a bad day at work, have a bad interaction with your boss and you say, you know what, I'm really grateful for my dog and I can't wait to see my dog when I get home. Oh, it's also a really beautiful day outside. Um, it's really nice to have this weather. Um, and then it might be, I'm thankful for my relationship with my friend. Um, I get to make myself a really great meal later that I'm really excited about. Um And I really like the coffee I had this morning. So those are like five things. And they're so simple. And most of the time, I think we like glaze over those and don't even notice them. But I think it's really helpful to try and train your brain to attend to and orient to the positive things that are going on in your life. That doesn't discount the negative thing that happened. That still happened and it still caused difficulty and pain. But to be able to also see the beauty of things that are going on around you, I think helps you in your recovery process. So um, I want to leave you with this. And this is um, from Arielle Schwartz's book, Post-Traumatic Growth. The the Post-Traumatic Growth book. Most importantly, you support your resilience with the belief that your choices and behaviors make a difference in the outcome of your life. She says you have the ability to actively create opportunities that allow you to overcome barriers in your life. I think all of these things um, are really important because it's empowering to view things in that way, that you have the opportunity to make changes, that the things that you believe, those impact your choices and your behaviors. Thank you for listening to the Resilient Mind podcast. We will see you next week.